0: chat, challenge, leave things better.
1: This is Webademic, a semi-regular broadcast about the way the web is changing our lives, why we should care, and how we can act together for good. This
0: is episode four with your hosts, Mike Wickett and Jeff Sage.
2: Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has.
1: Bless you, Margaret Mead, in all your culturally anthropologic awesomeness.
2: That was a mouthful. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mike. So we've got a cool show lined up. Today we're talking about citizenship in the age of participation.
1: Look, man, I
3: do what I can do to help y'all. But the game is out there. And it's either play or get played.
1: So today we're investigating how to... I guess solve shared problems, how to shape strategy and lobby for change uh, in our communities, how to make our voices, our interests, our passions heard.
2: This process seems to have become standardized by professional politicians over the last generation, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah. Uh, lobbyists, regulators, consultants. Uh, it's interesting how, how much trust and authority we actually give uh, people that we've never met uh, empowering them with the most important decisions affecting our day to day lives.
2: You know, I th- that's funny because I always think of the word, and I think most people would agree, the word lobbyist is such a dirty like. He just conjures up this like slimy dirt bag and a probably in some kind of pinstripe suit with like a red tie, and he's just all you know, just yeah, just get around him. You kind of skin crawls a bit. You're like, I don't really trust this guy, and it's too bad because the concept of lobbying is actually kind of pure in the sense of like yeah this is something i care a lot about and i want to i want to encourage this change to happen but it's become so perverted with all this money and these corporations and and paying lobbyists to achieve certain goals that we've kind of lost sight of it so that's almost i just thought of that i almost think lobbying is almost the back to the core of our yeah yeah well
1: i think of all the cool things that are going on in our community that that i think we both endorse and like to participate in like you know, change camp and pod camp and merging leaders and all the other cool things that are going on. Geek dinner. Yeah. Take your pick. Uh, You know, there's an initial lobbyist that started all of those things.
2: Yeah. It's something, it's an idea or a concept that someone cared enough about to actually take the time to talk to their friends about it, whether that was in person or just through a tweet to their community. And other people saw it and went, Oh, that's a great idea. We should do that. And, I think that's probably that's kind of what we want to get at in the show is is how do we take those like those nuggets of little connected ideas and and make them have a bigger impact on our community and and have an effect on the things that matter to us all.
1: Lobbying for good goes down every day in our community. I think we just don't associate it with lobbying.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, and I think you know, this being web pandemic, we want to talk about how the web and how the how the internet's affecting this particular topic uh and and we're starting to see well i think we're starting to see a lot of change happening in how at least how the citizens connect to each other i don't think we've necessarily made the jump to kind of tying in the politicians yet we have you know made some gains there but um i think it's interesting to talk to some people about how they use technology to engage with each other on a citizen level and I think you actually managed to talk to some people who think about this stuff a little bit.
1: Yeah, there's. I don't think there's any place better to talk to people about citizenship in the age of participation than uh, Change Camp.
2: Do you want to tell our listeners what Change Camp is if they don't know?
1: Uh, why don't you do that?
2: Yeah. So uh, so Change Camp uh, Change is their main site, but. Right from their site, they say that a Change Camp event is a creative face-to-face gathering that is citizen-led, nonpartisan, and social web-enabled. Change Camps bring together citizen change agents to answer questions like, how can we work together to create our desired future?
1: Translation, if you want to find the most engaged citizens in your community and they just happen to be some of the smartest, uh, you can go to Change Camp.
2: Sounds cool. So is it So I gather it's probably a pretty kind of like informal thing where everyone's kind of clustered around different ideas, probably writing on whiteboards, post-it notes, lots of, you know, sharing of of ideas, uh, and then sort of facilitate a discussion from there, or is it?
1: Yeah, so basically there's, um, uh, you can suggest topics before the event. Topics are basically uh, put around a bunch of tables. Uh, You pick the topic you want to participate in. Uh, somebody records the discussion, it lasts for about 15 or 20 minutes, and then you basically rotate and go to the next topic that you're interested in. All the notes that we're taking are posted to the website, and then you can look through all the awesome ideas from each citizen, and you can basically, from there, self-organize around the one that you want to um, you know, participate in and get involved with, and basically the idea takes off from there.
2: Very cool and so you you were at the last change camp in london correct i was and you hey and you talked to some people
1: yeah i got a chance to talk to you know some of london's most uh committed and dedicated citizens and
2: uh here's a little
1: bit about what they had to say
2: my name is uh, sean galloway and i'm the city's Urban designer. Right, my name's uh, Stuart Clark, a digital consultant, community enabler. I also ho- host a
0: podcast called This Week in London Tweets.
2: Uh, my name's Kevin Van Lierup. Uh I'm an active community member.
3: Hi, Joel Adams.
0: I'm Elaine Gamble, and I'm the director of communications for the City of London. So, just start by telling us
1: uh, how you see your digital life enabling social change for you personally.
2: Well, I think digital life is, uh, you know. It is really important and powerful tool that can connect people that have a have not traditionally been. Uh, connected? Well, I definitely see it. Um, you know, having a digital life, having, having social networking, it definitely helps the engagement. It definitely can change the world. My digital life has allowed me to connect uh, with other members of the community in a more rapid fashion than the traditional face to face communications. And it allows me to gather information uh, about the things I'm interested in uh, very quickly to mobilize uh, action in the community.
3: Well, I think my digital life is just really an extension or mirror of my, my own personal life, whether professional or, or privately. It all blends together, it's really just a tool. So, but I think it's an awesome tool because it allows you to connect with people on a on a much more constant basis.
0: It's allowed me to actually plug into a really cool community. Um, it's allowed me to to meet new people and um, you know get out to events like Change Camp and Agenda Camp and some of the other really cool things that are going on on a professional level. It's allowed me to actually connect with people. Um, that didn't know very much about the city and um, allows us to kind of engage a new, a new audience that wasn't previously connecting with the city.
1: So tell us a little bit about what, what's the best part of your digital life that you think uh, will have the biggest impact on social change.
2: Well, it's important to understand urban development and, and your city because, as I tell everybody, you spend more time with your city than you do with your wife, your husband, your children, your mom, your dad your aunts and uncles. So the importance of being connected to that, being informed about what's happening in your neighborhood, and how you can influence change for the positive for your neighborhood is so important because it has such a vast impact on your life. Meeting new people who, who are, uh, are very into their ideas. and I think there's something really good about you know having a debate with someone who maybe you don't see eye to eye on everything, but you find common ground. The thing I like the best about my digital life that has impact on social change is the ability to take the online connections and turn them into physical face-to-face connections. It's ability to uh, build bridges and cross divides that exist physically.
3: The the thing that that I find most interesting about uh, sort of engaging on the digital level is just how quickly things can move, Um, you know, it's it's the networking, it's the interconnectedness.
0: You know what, the favorite thing for me is being able to engage and connect with people in the community. In a way that's much more personal, even though it's digital and sometimes faceless, it's uh, it's way more personal way of of get, making a connection with people.
2: It's interesting to see them talk about how their experience in the digital realm, online, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, is really an extension of their regular life a couple of them actually said that but a, a few of the a few of the other ones alluded to it in the sense of they use it to meet new people or they use it to find out new ideas and those are things that you could do in real life you could go to a bar and meet some new people or whatever uh, but when you combine that with the scale and the speed that they also talked about you end up being able to do more in less time and potentially be more engaged is that yeah I, yeah it's tough i th- i think they
1: you could do the same thing in real life, but it's not happening to the same extent. I think something, something's happening that the technology is enabling that wasn't happening before because it feels like opportunity is what they're talking about. And the more people you interview and ask them, you know, how's technology affected their lives? It it feels like they're talking about things that are happening that didn't happen previously in their life. Some people talk about extensions, but for the most part, it seems like, or it feels like, it's you know a new frontier.
2: It is something new in that the technology is new, but it's also make causing new things to happen in their life, in their actual non digital life. And I think that's that's where that's where you start to see both a clear uh, split between people who kind of are doing it and those who aren't, because they don't. You know, if you're not on Twitter, it's hard to really grasp what first of all what Twitter is and why you would get any value out of it. But as soon as you start using it for a little while, and it may take a while, but as soon as you start getting in there and engaging and doing what those these folks talked about, then you start to make real life connections that that feel real to you because they are, and you meet these new people. So how do we how do we take that sort of new feeling and those new connections and make that next jump and and actually start to cause real things to happen in our communities?
1: I was rereading McLuhan the other day, and I think, which is really hard, by the way, even though it's like the 10th time I've read it. That sounds hardcore. It's, yeah, I think it's just me. But anyway, <laughs> I think he was arguing at one point that y- you can't really understand a technology and how it's affecting you until you distance yourself from it. And so until some of these technologies become less meaningful or less prevalent in our lives, uh, I think he's arguing that it's it's tough to make that judgment call. I think that's why we struggle, you know, sometimes answering that question, which basically makes the entire show that we're doing right now redundant. But We don't have to tell anybody that. We won't tell anybody that.
2: <laughs> so there are a few people out there who are trying to get at the heart of this um, and and how we can... Take that engagement and use it to, you know, affect real change, especially at sort of the municipal pol- political level, because that's something that's close to all of us. It has a real effect on our everyday lives, whether you realize it or not. And it's, you know, it's not something that's in another city in in, in a capital somewhere. It's happening all around us all the time, and it affects the services we use. Everything around us really is is affected by it.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those concepts that you know, it's it's so incredibly simple. Uh, that when you hear it, you think, "Yeah, of course, yeah. of course, this is going on. Of course, we have to make this change. Of course, we have to be engaged." But until you hear it, uh, you don't really know that it, you know, it's as bad as it really is.
2: Yeah, and and we take it for we take, we take all that stuff that happens around us for granted for the most part. I mean, you sort of you know the buses run and the roads get plowed and the whatever happens, this happens, blah blah blah. But then when you actually start to look at it, and and talk about some of these things with people around you, you realize that wow, there's actually a lot more issues going on here around me that I that I really do care about and really do affect me and my family.
1: We've got an awesome guest lined up to school us on this very subject.
2: So Dave Meslin, uh, you may uh, know him from the internet. Uh, he has done a TED Talk. It's definitely worth watching, so we'll, we'll put that in the show notes for sure. But uh, he was kind enough to, to share some of his time with us. Um, uh, shortly after, he was actually here in London, uh, with his fourth wall exhibit, and it, it would encourage you to go check that out, check that out online as well. Um, but uh, Jeff, you had a chance to chat with him. I did. Well, I thought it was an, an excellent discussion that you guys had, and it definitely brings some balance to the uh, sometimes glorified impact digital media has on social movements. Let's hear what he has to say.
1: Dave Meslin is an activist, journalist, and community organizer. Multipartisan and often fiercely optimistic, Dave embraces ideas and projects that cut across traditional boundaries between grassroots politics, electoral politics, and the arts community. In his work in Toronto and globally, he attempts to weave elements of these communities together. The business card that he handed me when we first met reads, Dave Meslin, Community Choreography, which after hearing him speak, I think you'll all agree, feels just about right. Dave Meslin, welcome to the show.
3: Great to be here. Thanks, Jeff.
1: So in prepping for the episode, I was watching one of your TED Talks, and you're making a, a really solid case to the effect that apathy as we know it doesn't actually exist. People actually do care, uh, and they care very deeply. But we live in a world that seems to actively discourage engagement. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you meant by that.
3: Well, if you break down you know, what politics is really about... It's not about people who are wearing suits, voting on items. It's about the water we drink. It's about the sidewalks we walk on. It's about the, the roads and our schools and our daycares and our libraries. So people might think they don't care about politics, but everyone cares about the state of our school system or how long you have to wait in the emergency room or how long you have to wait for the bus. And if you care about those things, then you do care about politics. You just, just might not know it. Or you might not trust the decision-making system that 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 creates, you know, the transit system and the library system. But so I don't think you'll find anyone anywhere in the universe who doesn't care about our cities and our neighborhoods. So the question is, how do we get them to connect the dots between the things they care about and the decision-making systems that shape those things that they care about?
1: Yeah, that's an that's a really that's a really good point. And you were actually the keynote speaker at. Change camp here in london where uh, which is an event that basically is designed to reimagine government and citizenship in the age of participation, and many of the people we interviewed earlier in the show pointed out to the immense power of digital life and social media in enabling social change and pointed to really an unprecedented ability to create relationships and mobilize change you know now that we don't have to wait for the next town hall to connect or to to have our say so Is technology enabling stronger, more personal relationships or less authentic connections? Uh, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is all this connection actually good for us?
3: I think the answer is yes to both. I think it's definitely good for us. I think Internet technology opens up tons of doors in terms of government reaching people and people reaching back to government and people interacting with with other people in their own neighborhoods. Uh, And because it's so new and the technology keeps changing and growing uh it's understandable why people are so excited about it and it's great to see people wanting to develop apps that are related to democracy uh at the same time there is probably a disproportionate amount of hype around it in relation to other things that that aren't online and i think we can get so swept up in the in you know the the dazzling powers of the internet that we can forget that it's also really important just to get people into a room and that no matter how, how amazing your website is for a city, you still have to know how to print flyers on pieces of paper mm-hmm. and, and posters and public notice signs on, on streets and, and public notices in newspapers and, and having booklets and guides that, that aren't just online as a PDF. Because the thing about the internet is it only works if people are being driven to a particular app or website. Someone has to know it's there in the first place to interact with it. So it's not really the first stepping stone to getting engaged, but it does facilitate engagement once you're there.
1: And what ways do you think we actually put too much emphasis on the web and its ability to engage citizens?
3: I can give you a very concrete example. Toronto City Hall used to have printed information in the lobby about how City Hall works. So if you wanted to get involved as a citizen, you could open up this booklet and it had tons of very useful information. If you go there now, you'll find 144 leaflets and flyers in the lobby of Toronto City Hall and not one of those flyers has anything to do with local government. And if you ask the clerk's office why, they'll say, well we don't need to print these anymore, they're all available online. My response is, if having something online replaces print, then how come those 144 companies, who all have websites, are spending tons of money to have flyers in the, in, in the lobby? Because what the flyers are for is for Niagara Falls, Canada's Wonderland, Marineland, etc. <laughs> it's marketing. And every company knows that even if you have a website, you still need billboards, you still need ads on TV, you still need ads in newspapers. A big part of political engagement has to be proactive marketing coming from government mm-hmm and that can't be all online because online marketing doesn't work unless someone's driving you to your online uh, platform in in the first place so amazing website does nothing you can have a civic engagement website the best one in the world and it's absolutely useless if no one knows that it's there and how do you drive people to it well we all know how advertising works there's a reason why there's ads and elevators and bus shelters and urinals and at the gas pump and video billboards on the highways, you have to compete with all the other marketing out there to get people's attention. And you can't do that online. you got to get into people's neighborhoods at their doorstep in their newspapers.
1: So technology is more of a supplement to help us change the world but it's actually people are the ones that are actually knocking down the true silos?
3: Yeah and also it's not just the marketing. It's really it's it's the first step and the last step that I think can't happen online. The first step is getting people involved in the first place, like reaching them somehow, which was more likely to happen through a flyer or a poster, I think, than through a website. The flyer drives them to the website. I mean, it could also be a tweet, I suppose, but I don't think – there's still a huge chunk of the population that isn't on Twitter. And uh, I say most people who are have accounts on Twitter barely use it, right? The people who are using it are using it in a very powerful way. I tweet all the time. I love it. But I don't reach the masses through Twitter. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I was going to say is so, so that's the first step. The last step is people actually making decisions and collaborating together in a room. There's a reason why change camps happen physically in a space. Change camp is all about getting a bunch of people together into, a, into an actual room to brainstorm. Uh, you can use online technologies to spread the word and get people to RSVP. But in the end, what really makes the magic happen is people in a room. So I think when you go a little too far towards discussion boards and and wikis and Google Docs, you actually lose that excitement you get when 10 people sit in a room and can see each other's facial interactions and feel the tension and the energy when you're on the cusp of you know a breakthrough of a new idea. You don't have that online. It doesn't exist. So you got to get people into rooms physically. And I think we sometimes think that a Facebook page discussion wall or a Twitter thread somehow replaces what you can do in a room with the real conversation. And I don't think it does. Mm-hmm.
1: There's sort of elections going on all around the world where they didn't exist before. And, and the traditional media tends to play up the fact that, you know, technology played this, this huge role in actually driving change and in in some cases displacing dictatorships that have been there for a long time. What role do you think technology played um, in some of those places like North Africa?
3: I think it's exaggerated the role. I mean, people who, I mean, to be honest, we're all, we have no idea. I wasn't there. So I can give you my theory, Mm -hmm. but let me just preface that by saying I wasn't there. So I'm just, I'm just theorizing, but yes, there were people tweeting during the revolutions in, uh, in Libya or, or in Egypt um, and, and therefore we called it a Twitter revolution. I think, that's, I think that's strange because the fact is that there's been revolutions constantly all over the world, all throughout history, pre-Twitter. So for some reason, because Twitter exists, we call it a Twitter revolution. But 20 years ago, if there was a revolution somewhere, no one said that it was a fax machine revolution. Uh, just because that was the new technology at the time. Uh, I went on Twitter and I tried to, you know, see what was happening during the protests uh, in Egypt, in Libya. And I found that, I found it very unlikely to imagine that someone was on the streets and using Twitter in a viable, practical way because there was just so much clutter. There were more North Americans tweeting about, oh my God, what's happening? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? Yeah. And, and- Rumors, there were unsubstantiated rumors that were going around like crazy. So there was no thread you could really follow that I found to be useful. I hate to say it. So Uh,
1: technology will never be a replacement for person-to-person citizen engagement?
3: It replaces part of it. I mean, they probably had to print less flyers because you also had Twitter and Facebook. But I mean, historically, there's always been moments when people have risen up and they've always found ways to communicate with each other. And right now, Twitter is one of the great ways to do that. But uh, I don't think, I'm not sure the revolutions w- wouldn't have happened without Twitter or would have been much different. I don't see any evidence of that. People are very creative and very resourceful. I mean, We had, we had revolutions before we had paper, right?
1: It's not about the technology.
3: Yeah, I don't think so. And I think you almost miss the point if you make it about the technology. you know by everyone spending so much time talking about how Twitter sparked a revolution, they probably missed the whole point of what did spark the revolution. I'd like to know what it was. I don't think it was Twitter.
1: Yeah, people not being able to feed their families, I think might have had more to do with it than Sure, but there's technology. other countries
3: there's other countries where people can't feed their families and they, and they're not having a revolution. What yeah. was it at that time? What were the series of factors that allowed people to finally rise up? And I'm sure Twitter played a role in that, but there must have been something else. An overstated role. It got lost in the hype.
1: So you're a guy that's had a lot of success uh, in this area, and there's lots of people doing a lot of work here in London and around the world to make their own backyard and their own municipality better. And so for those of us who haven't taken that first sort of participatory step, What advice would you give those who want to get involved uh, but are sort of uncertain where to start?
3: Sure. I think the best piece of advice I could give, you would think I would say something like dream big, you know, or go big or let your dreams soar. In fact, I would say start really small. People I think often don't get involved with you know you can call it activism or community organizing cuz they assume that it's daunting and that it's an overwhelming task and it's really complicated and you'll need lots of money and you'll need a degree in nonprofit management or all these things and you don't need anything all you need is an idea of what could be different in your community different than it is now and that could be as small as was a bike lane on my street or as big as our neighborhood needs a $10 million community center. I'd say start with a small one. Get the bike lane. Get the speed bumps to slow down the cars on your street. Um, Get the, um, I don't know what it is. It has to be something, for me, what drives me is stuff around cycling issues. Things around the visual environment and outdoor advertising. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of, it could be about starting a farmer's market, right? Find something small, something that's already been done somewhere else that you can use as kind of a precedent or a best practice and figure out who you need to talk to to make it happen. Find a few other people who share the goal, bring them together, call it something. So now you have a group the association of or the coalition for or the whatever. Come up with the logo, come up with the brand, build a website, start a campaign, get politicians, to buy into it, get the media paying attention, and see if you can win something small. Once you've done that, then go bigger and bigger and bigger. And I can tell you from experience, you don't need a lot of money. You don't need a lot of experience. You just need patience, perseverance, creativity, and a team around you.
1: Sound advice from one of the most successful community organizers I've ever met. Thanks for your time today, Dave. Appreciate it.
3: Great. Thank you, Jeff. So he's
1: basically saying, you know, it needs to become normalized that we're passionate about a local municipal issue and it needs to become normalized that we roll down to City Hall when we're passionate about something and we disagree about something. We say our piece, we take our stand, and then we go home. And you do that with your family.
2: Yeah, and that's, that's not, not a culturally or socially normal thing at all for us to do right now. No.
1: You wouldn't think about, I'm going to get my partner and my kids, and I'm going to go down to City Hall, and I'm going to you know, say a two-minute speech when there's time for audience participation, and that's a normal thing. Yeah. And I'm going to see people down there, and then I'm going to go for a bite to eat, and that's part of our lifestyle. Right now, we think a bunch of people in suits are making decisions
2: for us. They're taking care of it out there somewhere and just doing it. It's funny you say it because I saw uh, today someone tweeted from City Hall here in London. I won't say who it was. I could. He wouldn't care. But tweeted from City Hall. uh, Actually, I think it was like a four-square check-in. But he said as his commentary, how did I become this person? And he's one of the guys who are at City Hall on a regular basis, you know, actively sitting in the gallery and paying attention and talking about this stuff.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's addictive. It's like anything else, right? It's like a, it's, you know, like going back to the metaphor, it's, it's like there's people on a stage that are in this play and we can't get access to them and they're making decisions for us. And when you start to engage and now with some of the technology, we're able to sort of, you know, engage on and offline, I guess, with, with participants that are on the stage Uh, it it gets addictive and then you start to figure out what's going on and how much power people actually have over your lives and how much more focus that is actually becoming at a municipal level with the federal and provincial governments giving less and less monies to municipality their decisions are only going to have larger and larger impacts on us our kids and our kids kids
2: yeah yeah i couldn't have said it any better myself um i thought his his definition of uh apathy was really interesting or his discussion around the idea of apathy and that we always talk about voter apathy or citizen apathy but in reality people care a lot with and his, his examples of like oh yeah they care about the bus and they care about you know the streets that they drive on and all that stuff absolutely you see something wrong with that whatever that function is in in your city and you're like oh that really sucks like that make that pisses me off but then you don't do anything about it and it's not because you don't care it's because you don't know how or the right way to yeah to take that care and give it and put it in front in front of someone who has some power to change it
1: yeah you can want to take it back to the schoolyard back in the day you can want to play baseball as much as you possibly can want to play any sport but if no one calls you to invite you to the game tell you where it is tell you how to take part yeah you're not going to play you're on your your own (laughs) you're on your own
2: you're playing with yourself
1: yeah (laughs) nice A special thanks to our featured guest, community choreographer Dave Meslin, and to our Change Camp participants, Sean Galloway, Stuart Clark, Elaine Gamble, Joel Adams, and Kevin
0: Van Lyrick. Guest bios and resources can be found in our show notes section at webademic.org.